0: Welcome to Productivity Book Group. I'm your host and facilitator, Ray Sidney Smith. Thanks for joining us here for Productivity Book Group's group discussion of the book Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less by Greg McCowan. Just a little bit about the author and then a little bit about the book before we get started. Greg McCowan has dedicated his career to discovering why some people and teams break through to the next level and others don't. McCowan is the CEO of McCowan Inc., a public speaker, board member for the Washington, D.C. policy group Resolve, and is a mentor with Two Seeds, a nonprofit incubator for agricultural projects in Africa. As well, he serves as a young global leader for the World Economic Forum. About the book Essentialism, these were all lifted in parts from his website, gregmcowen.com. It says, have you ever found yourself stretched too thin? Do you sometimes feel overworked and underutilized? Do you feel motion sickness instead of momentum? Does your day sometimes get hijacked by someone else's agenda? Have you ever said yes simply to please and then resented it? If you'd answered yes to any of these, the way out is the way of the essentialist. The way of the essentialist involves doing less but better so you can make the highest possible contribution. Essentialism isn't one more thing. It is a different way of doing everything. It is a discipline you apply consist uh, constantly effortlessly essentialism is a mindset a way of life it is an idea whose time has come so with that introduction out of the way what did you think about the book what what really um from a general perspective um what are your initial responses so to speak about essentialism and the material that greg mccowan is talking about here maybe we can define essentialism and kind of go go from there and welcome to those who just joined hi everybody hey trevor how's it going (laughs) Um, so initial initial responses uh, to and reactions to the book itself. Oh,
1: go ahead, Trevor. Yeah, go. I was going to say is I loved a lot of the concepts in the book. Um, I did struggle a little bit because it was it was presented in a very dualistic way, and so it was you're either this or that, and either this works or that works, and there was uh, not so much nuance, but a lot of the core concepts I really liked a lot.
0: Yeah, I get that, Lee. I'm um, much the
2: same uh, there's a chart um fairly early in the book that that describes the non essentialist and the essentialist and and I think I had some problems with the lack of nuance but as an aspirational set of approaches to doing the right stuff um and and being productive by pruning things that are not as important. I think there's a good set of of guidelines there um, to follow. So the ideas of choosing only a few things really matter, trade-offs, and and actually taking the time and also the stiffening against resistance um, to be able to make those decisions. To say the, right the whole less is better
0: yeah i found i found the book to be um interestingly contradictory in a number of ways because he talks about this idea that essentialism should as as i noted in the in the in the lead up right he uh he explains that essentialism should be effortless uh, but in reality uh removing things from one's life is actually quite difficult making those hard decisions are difficult and uh and so it is not effortless in that particular way that i think sounds it sounds nice in marketing speak on the back cover of a book <laughs> but it doesn't quite feel um uh right in terms of of how it emotionally resonates with me when i think about the 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 uh flip side of that which is the logical rational work that needs to happen to say that this is going to be done or this is not going to be done and he also talks about this this almost like woo woo concept of when you you just feel the right thing to do. He talks about this in choosing his his uh way of the essentialist uh decision to uh to to go to Stanford and to do graduate work there. It was kind of like, oh, well, you know, I just kind of like I got this sense that I needed to do this and so everything fell away and I I pursued my my uh you know, graduate work there. I'm I'm not quite sure everybody gets that luxury of being able to think of it from that perspective. And so I would have liked a little bit more meat there in terms of of the the methods by which you start you start to distill away those components so they could be a little bit more I don't know if it's uh, best to say modularized uh, but certainly seeing uh, more of the component structure of of how you go through that thinking process and you know, it's, it is what it is. I mean, I I don't know if you can do it. You know, I don't know if it's really that easy to, to outline that with this kind of methodology, but I I did find myself feeling a little bit like, "Eh, that's a little loosey goosey way of thinking about how you should start to, uh, think through, uh, getting rid of the things that are non-essential in your world. Anyone else?
3: I think, um, just to kind of build on what you, the point you just made, um, I think that there's pre-work, like this isn't step one, right? So, the pre-work of honing your intuition to be able to recognize that gut instinct, I think is you're right. Not everybody has the ability to do that, but it's something to practice. Um, And then the emotional aspect of it is certainly a a valid concept, right? Like there's emotions tied to every decision we make. Um, I like how he presents the perspective of choice. I think I've read that concept framed in a number of different ways in a number of different books, but I think when people recognize that they have the power to choose not only what they choose to do or what path they choose to take or actions they take, but also in terms of how they view certain things, they have a choice and they have a choice in how they interpret the world around them and what's happening and how they respond, then I think they're empowered. And so I think there's pre-work that happens before you get to the step where you're able to start to eliminate the noise. And in some cases, like for me personally, it was a personal like event, right? There was something that happened in my life that really forced me to go, okay, I have to hone in on what's critical and what's really, truly important and aligned with my values. And I have to cut out the noise Because otherwise, I'm not going to be able to bring my full self to those important tasks. So
0: that's all. (laughs) No, absolutely. That's great. That's great insight.
2: I think Kat brought out a, a really good point. A piece of this is really about habit form, which is one of those, I mean, there's pretty straightforward ways to go about that. But it's getting to the habit of looking at things from that light of, do I choose to do this or not? Um, and that's, that's not a simple thing to get to. I think that's where he thinks that's where he's talking about it being effortless is if you build that habit, then you'll look at things that way. But I agree with you. It's not, it's not a
0: trivial effort. Definitely. Hey there, Frank, you joined us.
4: Yes, yes, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we were just doing initial, initial thoughts on the book. Do you want to, do you want to toss in your initial thoughts about the book before we go on?
4: well you know like like so many that are out there now you know deep work so so forth and so on it's you know how do you get the important things done how do you narrow it down to you know those few things that are going to make the most difference
0: yeah absolutely yeah so so i've i've uh, pulled up a little summary book here that i i found Uh, In my library that kind of took the key takeaways from the book. And so there are 12 of them here. And I figured we'd go as far as we can into it, uh, only because the book seems to have structured itself in a way that didn't, it just, it didn't lend well to my brain. Although I I found it to be structured well, uh, for for most people, for some reason, as I was was, uh, reading it, and then I listened to the audiobook most recently. I found myself in kind of this like nonlinear progression with regard to it. So uh, the first uh, kind of point that he uh, he brings out in the book, and I'm now kind of paraphrasing from these uh, from this little summary here, it says non-essentialism uh, dominates work and, and and life today just generally. And so, you know, what we call priorities, and he actually even talks about this in the book, the fact that uh, the word Uh, priority didn't have a plural, uh, until, uh, quite recently in history. And, uh, we started to use the word priorities, uh, for, you know, multiples of something that used to only be one thing. And so therefore our priorities are, are not getting the the needed attention. And there's this, um, thinning of our effort, which is creating poor work, poor quality work. Agree, disagree, and Do we think that essentialism at its core, as he talks about it in the book, right, which is basically finding a limited set of things to focus on, defining them very clearly, putting everything else aside and uh, not taking, saying no, and then going forward into those things. Is this the way to get back to that concept of priorities,
5: Ray, I'd like to chime in here if it's okay. Yeah, go for it. So first off, from the general comments that uh, the others have shared so far, the overview comments, I agreed with uh, almost everything that has been said so far. With regard to the book, I had specific areas where I disagreed, and I'm saying that uh, thoughtfully, uh, if I may. The part that hit me as I was reading through the book was that if all we did was pick the one thing that was important to us, other things that are just as important uh would go by the wayside. So for example, things like, you know, volunteerism, helping others, you know, your responses to us on questions that we send in. If you were truly to look at the ones that were number one or number two on your list, none of these would be addressed. And, you know, I would put GTD in that um context as well. So that, was something I wrestled with saying, I agree in concept, you got to pick the few high priority ones, but I don't think it can be just one
6: that,
4: you know, if you did, that one would have to be just, you know, you know, I, I guess if I was Bill Gates years and years ago and said that, you know, my one thing, my essential thing is going to be um, you know, developing the software that could run the world, then I'd have enough money that I could pay somebody else to do everything else. Um, yeah, you know, but how many are in that category? And And, you know, and as I've said before, at other times, you know, if you you do the important things. Well, you know, who's going to empty the dishwasher that there there are things that have got to be done that aren't the big important things, but they're sort of the maintenance things in our lives that that we've got to do. So I, I, I think the challenge becomes, how do we, how do we get those little things done? How do we keep from letting them fall through the cracks, but at the same time, have the big blocks of time for those priorities, uh, plural these days.
0: Yeah, and I, I think. It, go ahead. Okay. But yeah, I
3: was gonna say. Um, I think one of the things oh, you know, is how- that it's um, um I, it's kind of you got to roll up some of these things into higher level, higher order values. Um, and uh, it's maybe not so much about just choosing one or two things, but being intentional about how you're spending your time and energy, um, and making sure that you know, like, taking care of the maintenance things, like you said, Doctor uh, Doctor Buck. Um, I think you can roll those little tasks up into a higher order value of you know self care or home. You know, having a, a nice, tidy, clean home, or whatever the the big the bigger objective is. And then there's those smaller tasks that fall within that, that then become those habits that you establish. Um, But I I do think, you know, it's really hard to focus on just one thing. Nobody has just one important area of life. Um, And so, you know, you can look at maybe Eisenhower's matrix, but I think like when it comes down to it, it's a nice framework for looking at your choices and being intentional and how you spend your time. Because I think a lot of us are reactive.
4: It's just. I, w- I would agree. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Uh, something to also go ahead. Go ahead, Frank. Yeah. I,
4: I, yeah. There's that temptation to sort of say yes to everything. Yes, I can do that. Yes, I can do that. Yes. And yes, we could do any of those things. But when you start looking at all of the different things that you've said yes to, it turns out that you can't do a very good job of any of
3: I heard an interesting quote the other day, um, and I don't know where it came from, so I can't give any attribution to it, but it was like, if you need water, it's more effective to dig one well six foot deep than it is to dig six wells one foot deep. So.
0: Yeah, I don't think you'd get any water in, this, in the one foot deep ones. <laughs> Maybe unless you were on a riverbank. Uh, yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I also kind of like from a realistic perspective, the audience for this book is a little bit uh, perhaps different than uh, than what we 're talking about also because he's he 's writing this as many of these books are written for uh, leaders and organizations who are going to hire him to come in and present this material so he's he 's writing it in such a way that's that 's basically a calling card and yeah and and while i I recognize it and I respect that notion many times when we come across these books, they become very popular in in the zeitgeist uh, and we then we we then bring them onto you know book groups like this and we talk about them and some of it's applicable to us and some of it's really not and and so we have to kind of wrestle with those two points there right which is he's he's really uh building out a process by which he can then uh, um, explore this concept with and in group environments and team environments and organizational uh settings and then we have to pull out from it the stuff that's really personally applicable to our productivity, you know, individually, uh, you know, capable of being, uh, modified, I suppose, to our, to our, uh, needs. And so the idea of, of even like choosing the essential versus maintenance items, like loading the dishwasher are not really irreconcilable because that has really nothing to do with the concept of being an essentialist in his mind, right? He's thinking about this from, these higher level goals and higher level, um, you know, uh, areas of focus, at least in my interpretation, I could be completely wrong. But that's how I'm seeing it in terms of like, you know, if you were trying to build a company, you're not trying to build three companies at the same time, choose the one, right? Going back to our last book discussion of The One Thing by Gary Keller, you know, like we really need to uh, uh, be mindful of, where we focus our energies, and as he says early on in the book, you know you're going to be more likely to be um, regretful of not having done that one thing than having you know sort of kind of maybe gotten some progress in these five things and if we can choose that one thing, if we can choose that area of focus where we can really make inroads, then we're going to be much more. Further along in fulfillment, which is, I think, psychologically where we want to get to. I, I again, I struggle with this this whole concept of essentialism because it uh, kind of uh, it rings a little bit of the physical space environment uh, issues I have with minimalism, which is that you know if we think about this from two different ends, what really is essentialism, uh, and and then looking at it from the perspective of what is the opposite. Of essentialism, I always try to see what the what the other uh, pole is. And you know, if we have polar opposites, what do you think the opposite of essentialism is? Well, he
2: has a pretty strong definition of what the opposite is.
0: Yeah, he mentions the non-essentialist,
2: non-essentialist, and (laughs) a big piece of it, I think, is that it's reactive. And that you're not necessarily in control of how your time is being spent, as opposed to he's and Frank kind of alluded to this. It's not it's not unique to this book of trying to stay focused on the important stuff. And so while he may paint this as polar and there's only one thing, he certainly recognizes that you have to maintain yourself and do unload the dishwasher and all of that stuff. Um but I think his biggest focus is intentional intentionality as opposed to a lack of it. And I, I think I think the pieces that go along with that are very useful um even on a personal level in terms of making sure that your time is going to the right stuff. He doesn't really talk about distractibility as much as say, Indistractable does, but it's the same kind of pay attention to what you're doing and think about what it is you're trying to accomplish at a big level and then make sure the stuff you do day-to-day actually fits that.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I can understand um, from that corporate perspective, like you were talking about his intended audience. Um, I just came from working for five years for a subsidiary of a giant conglomerate. I will not name names. Um, but, you know, the lack of a really clear strategy and a really clear mission and purpose created a bit of a chaotic environment. And it's really hard to motivate your people, right? So if you're, you know, steering them, if everybody's rowing the boat in one direction, why are you going to row too hard if the direction is going to change next month or the next month? Um, and so it kind of, stalled the progress. You know, it really limited what we were able to accomplish because nobody was totally invested because it would change um, frequently, way too frequently for a company of that size. And so by zeroing in on those essentials and, you know, where are you trying to go, you know, three, five, 10 years from now and making sure that the steps you're taking are the ones that are going to get you there and Eliminating the other stuff that is really just noise, um, I think is super important in the corporate world, whether you're a giant conglomerate or a small business. Yeah. You
4: know, and some of those things you're eliminating can actually be good things. Uh, I think one of the challenges for those people who do a number of things well is, you know, we start to spread ourselves too thin. Um it, and we can do all of these different things. You know, in, in the book, for example, I talked about Nancy Duarte and her company and how at first they were doing, a, you know, just a lot of different things. They were doing web design and um, lots of work for different ages. And then finally, just whittle it down to, uh, we do presentation design. We do PowerPoint presentations and we do it very well Um and let's be the best in the world at that and let the other things that we do well, let them go. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Because what if the one thing that you're doing goes belly up? You know, What if the well that you're digging and you get five and a half feet down and you start to go, you know, is there going to be water here or not? Maybe I need to start digging the well somewhere else. Yeah. I think it's,
1: it's interesting. It's the difference between a portfolio strategy and a pick one strategy. And he's definitely focused on a pick one strategy and not recognizing some of the trade-offs or, or rather the context of when a portfolio strategy is better than a pick one strategy. Um, on a similar note, uh, Derek Severs has this, um, saying it's a hell no. It's either a, a hell yeah or no. Right? But he has, a, he has a corresponding one that is less popular, which is say yes to everything. But he says doing them in different points. When you're in the thing where you don't know what direction to head in and you're in that thing of trying to figure out where the water is, say yes to everything. So go shallow, do a portfolio strategy. Once you've hit the water, then do the pick one and go deep. Then, then you switch over to saying no to everything else except the one focus. And he doesn't really go into those different... He
0: mentioned Sivers and that whole concept, but he doesn't talk about that one. I actually didn't even know about the other Sivers corollary there uh, uh, of, of say yes to everything. So that's actually really unique. Uh, that's a good point.
3: I think it's kind of in the line of like, say, the design thinking methodology, right? Where you throw all the ideas up on the board and then you prototype and you determine what works, what doesn't work. You test and then... You zero in on that one priority, right? So it's it's a little bit of that concept. And I agree, if you don't know what the ultimate end goal is, you got to test a lot of things. You gotta try and see if it works, but you gotta be able to move quickly, kind of knowing what your your values are. You know, you have to have a way of evaluating. So you have to set those that criteria that you evaluate each option on. Like, how do you know it's not working if you haven't set those you know, evaluation standards or what you're trying to accomplish. So it's interesting concept. And I agree. I think that, you know, a portfolio strategy can work if it's what, if if there's synergies, if it's makes sense towards that ultimate end goal. Um, Again, that might be my big corporate experience talking to where there were a lot of different things happening, but as long as there's a connection and a common thread, then I think the portfolio works because you've picked that one thing. It's just higher up in the order.
0: And there's sometimes a complementary nature of your portfolio strategy. I mean, I have that in my own world where, you know, in half of my life, I do something very different, seemingly on the surface than the other half of my life, which is, you know, it's it's all about, you know, personal productivity and and technologies in that space. And I love talking about it and and hosting the podcasts about productivity and all the other fun stuff and it's weird because it's it's a it's a melange that if people from the outside looked in wouldn't necessarily know how they connect but they connect very well and deeply for me and so it just makes a lot of sense and so we all have to remember that the the thing that's most important to me is that i feel fulfilled in and at the end of the day and uh and and that the the way that i uh, do output on the other side is effective for the audience receiving it and so that's going to keep me motivated to doing what i'm doing and hopefully you know when i'm old and you know laying on my deathbed i can feel like you know what i did all of this in pursuit of helping others and it worked it did it did its purpose in in no matter how the different things may have felt chaotic uh in, in different ways to different people, because there are people in my in my own life who see what I do and they don't necessarily see the connection between the pieces uh, and they don't need to. I don't really care if they understand it or don't. Uh, you know, they're peripheral in that nature. Uh, but the core people in my life, they fully understand that. And certainly my audience understands that, uh, I hope. And And so that part I think needs to be Kind of understood that if you if you can navigate that that um, kind of that thread between the pieces, then it doesn 't really matter whether or not it 's one thing or several things. It really ends up being whether or not you feel like you have control over those pieces, uh, and again, going back to kind of a little bit of gtd uh, you know lingo, whether or not you 're balancing control and perspective. <coughs> And many times that's difficult for folks to do. Um, I, I wanted to just point out here that the book is is actually organized in four different sections. Uh, section one is essence. Part two is explore. Part three is eliminate, and part four is execute. And the. Uh, the second part, after he talks about kind of what the essentialist is, right? You know, uh, choice, uh, getting rid of uh, of non important things, uh, and then and noting that most things are unimportant in in his view, and then of course uh, defining a problem. He then goes into the con- concept of explore, and he actually has in those five chapters escape, look, play, sleep, and select. And his big question there in that in that part, he says, how can we discern the trivial? from uh, trivial many, from the vital few. And uh, before we get into the discussion of sleep, because I do want to touch on that a little bit, I'm curious whether or not you learned anything about that concept. Because we started the conversation off with the fact that I I felt as though I left the book not really having a well-defined model that came out of it. But he spent an entire part of the book supposedly answering that question. Do you, did you feel like you got a model for separating the trivial many from the vital few? And maybe you have some thoughts there on how you do it in your own world.
4: I I really didn't get from him the how to do it. Uh, it, To me, it it was another book on it's important to do it. Um, Personally, I just look at my list each night and go, hey, tomorrow, call them the Fab Five. Here... The thing, yeah. when I get up in the morning, this is the one I want to jump on first and get these that one and four more done. And then from there on, let me kind of attack things that sort of go well together. You know, there are a lot of maintenance, again, a lot of maintenance activities in life. But let me batch those together so that when I go outside to check on various things around the house that I do on a regular basis here. Let me look under the house to make sure there's not six inches of water underneath the house. That's a pretty trivial thing, unless there's six inches of water underneath the house. So, but when I go out to do that thing let me also go check the water meter to make sure there's not a water leak near the road, and you know several other things that I do on a regular basis. Um, you know, out outside. Let me batch those things.
5: Also,
0: Yeah. So, so from from, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. So, anyone else have have any any thoughts there? Did they get a uh, a message there in terms of methodology and or how do you do it? How do you discern? the trivial many from the vital few. How do you go through that process for yourself?
1: Um, So I'll jump in to say like, yeah, I definitely thought the book was very much more theoretical than practical. So he, he obviously has developed systems and practicalities, but he didn't teach them. So I thought like it it didn't have the systems and rules and stuff like that. Um, A couple things I do is um, one, I actually, I do 24 seven time tracking and Whenever I start an activity, I actually am ranking activities on a scale of one to five uh, on how impactful they are toward my goals in life. Um, and I've been doing this for well before the, I've read the book. Because I just It was just this weekend. I've been doing it for like five, six years now. Um, and I go everywhere from no impact to weak indirect impact, strong indirect, all the way up to strong direct impact. And so I will actually even evaluate things like emptying the dishwasher is for me a weak indirect impact. Like I can do it. I need the dishes need to be emptied or else my life doesn't continue. Well, my life will continue, but yeah. I potentially could get sick. Um, but I don't need to be the one doing it. So I actually recognize that fact. So at some point in my, in the future, I can outsource some of those things, but I'm also very conscious about what are the things that are reinforcing my goals and what are the things that aren't. I used to do a weekly review where I would then say, like, what new rules do I need to adopt this next week that will help me be better? And I need to go back to that. And similarly, I used to do like a yearly or bi-yearly like life portfolio that said, what is everything I'm doing in my life and what needs to get cut? The After this discussion, the thing that I will add to that is being very explicit about how the different things reinforce each other. Because I do buy into you should have one overarching goal. And so like, for instance, me going for a run reinforces my ability to, you know, achieve what I want to do with my business because it keeps me healthy. So maintenance activities still reinforce in some way, but there's lots of things I do that don't reinforce. And so looking at that, being explicit about uh, um, that thread, Um, that you talked about earlier, like what is that thread and not just having it in my mind, but writing down, this is how they're going to reinforce each other. So I would do weekly reviews where then I write rules. Like once I, one rule I have is no Facebook until 5. PM Help me be way more productive. Um, then I do like on your like yearly reviews or, uh, by yearly reviews or whatnot. Um, also like look and be very explicit with what is everything in your life? And how do the things that you're doing reinforce? And if they don't, can I cut them? And like writing that down.
3: I don't think he gives a true like step-by-step approach, but I also think it's entirely personal, you know? So it's no one size fits all. And so I don't necessarily mind that he doesn't lay out the, here's how to do it. But he does emphasize the idea of, again, back to intentionality and carving out space to be able to focus on what you have determined as being those essential things, but also to allow yourself the space to figure out what those are. Um, And, you know, he doesn't say that it's like a concept that's set in stone either, you know, it can fluctuate and vary over time and it can change and you can shift priorities, Um, but making sure you've got that time. And so he gives you some ideas and some concepts of areas where you can Sort of apply that, but I I like that he doesn't say, hey, here's here's the guidebook, here's the step by step checklist on what you need to do to do this.
0: Yeah, and he does give some good practical suggestions, if not a methodology, right? He talks about you know having one decision that helps to uh, reduce all of the others, uh, so that you can just kind of eliminate. By filtering, Uh, he talks about being able to say no, and he gives you different strategies for being able to say no to things uh, gracefully, so so to speak. Uh, He talks about cutting your losses, how we tend to uh, uh, feel like we've paid more for something, so we will still do the thing that we are in. Uh, less likely to enjoy, even though we paid more for it. So there's some there's some psychology in uh, in in mind there when we want to just cut our losses and do the thing that's going to be more important. He, he he really talks about some of these strategies in in that sense, and so those are useful and and certainly a refresher for me. Uh, just as a point of note, he talks about sleep and how important sleep is to things, and that happens to be a soapbox. Uh, topic of mine. So I am always talking to people about the importance of sleep, uh, being someone who actually uh, for many years didn't value sleep. And the idea here um, is that I actually learned from one of the books we read in the past, The Power of When by Dr. Michael Bruce. Uh, he, he talks about this idea of identifying uh, how you sleep and he uses kind of personality and chronotyping together in kind of a mixture And, uh, as a sleep psychologist, he did all of this research on the topic and it just really un, un, it peeled away many of the layers of the onion in terms of how I experience sleep. And it was just very helpful for me in that sense. And so nothing necessarily scientific in, in that way, but it was very useful for me to be able to identify, uh, the, the chronotype he, you know, uses in his, uh, Kind of methodology, and uh, so he uses four different chronotypes: uh, the the lion, the bear, the wolf, and the dolphin. And it turned out that I'm a dolphin, so I'm someone who who doesn't sleep well generally. And it was just kind of a, a huge eye opener for me, and actually a big like, you know, uh, weight off my shoulder uh, in terms of just like, oh, everybody else experiences sleep differently, and. I fit into this very small category of people who who experience sleep differently. And that's that's OK. And uh, so we all have to kind of recognize those pieces. So he like took this a uh, little bit of a I felt derivation from the you know kind of detour in the book toward that sleep chapter and then came back on course. I don't know if, how you felt about it, but I felt like, why is this here? <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it was still useful for me because I I just always feel like everybody needs to know that sleep is important. Um, but then he goes into part three and he continues that, um, that point about how do you cut the trivial many. I talked about some of those pieces there. And then he gets into um, execution and he talks about how can we make doing the vital few things almost effortless. And if some of you don't know, his next book is called Effortless. It's coming out in uh, next year sometime. Uh, I don't know the exact date. I can actually look it up here because I had it on my screen. And so, yeah, so he he has a book coming out in April, 2021 called Effortless, Make It Easy, to do what matters. And so clearly he's been thinking about solving that problem for folks in a future writing and is putting out this book uh, next year to hopefully fill in the gaps, maybe some of these uh, more uh you know uh, granular components that maybe he didn't talk about here in essentialism so maybe essentialism was his way of kind of putting out his thesis and uh effortless will be his way of explaining the particulars and i'm hoping that he does so but that being the case in part 4 he talks about uh again as i said how how do you make doing the vital few things almost effortless and he gives some suggestions here and i was curious what things kind of percolated for you in that part of the book and what items did you want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? That you thought maybe this vignette was really good, or this particular example was really great? Uh, any thoughts there? I know we talked about the power of small wins, which I am a huge fan of. Like something that I always do, and I, I find it to be really uh, important for those of us in who are. Who are productivity enthusiasts generally, and we spend a lot of time being probably harder on ourselves than we need to. I actually keep track of what I call my success list, and I just keep track of those successes throughout the week. And there's something about those small wins throughout the week that really I enjoy looking back on. He talks about journaling in the book and the importance of journaling and i really actually enjoyed his analogy of the fact that you know journalists the 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 root of that word being journal and the concept of you know uh, tracking one's day and uh, and so you know a journalist's job is to basically account for the day the the idea of uh, journaling is uh, something that you know i've had a pretty strong relationship with my entire life and the notion of tracking those small wins has been so useful to me in one identifying patterns of of where I'm being more productive or less. I, like you, Trevor, I'm a ac- very active tracker, so I track my time very closely. And I'm and I do that more as a hobby than I do it as any other reason. Right, I just enjoy doing it, so I do it. Uh, and I wouldn't suggest it for many people because it is quite a bit of of extra work, so to speak. Um, it is non essential in that category. Although I have found uh, great uses for that data in my own world. It's not. Not everybody needs to do it, and now today, with uh, much of the uh the uh, passive tracking technologies that are out there, you get so much data from so many different tools uh that you can just uh mash those together either way uh the The notion for me in the book of him talking about uh journaling really matched up for me with the power of small wins by just every week I go back and I look at those things you know as i as I go back, it really helps me stay motivated toward larger goals, because then I can tie those smaller wins to the higher horizons in GTD lingo that I otherwise wouldn't do because I'm just checking things off. As soon as something gets checked off in my system, it disappears and I go on with my world. But if I go back and look and review those things and say, oh, you know what, that's really good. Uh, that, that's I would just, you know, I, I feel so much better off at that time. And uh, so um Kat, to your to your point, um, uh, you just posted in the chat about learning more about personal tracking methods. Um, I actually did two episodes on Productivity Cast uh, with the with the Productivity Cast team on active and passive tracking. So if you just find those two Productivity Cast episodes, we covered a, we covered a lot in the active and passive tracking space. So you can check that out. Thank you. Of course, yeah. of course. Frank? Yeah.
4: Uh, well, and I so you know, Trevor, going back to what you were saying as far as how you sort of log your day and assign a one through five, uh, how, go into a little more about how you do that. Is, do you do it? You record it digitally? You do you notepad at hand? Uh,
1: yeah. So I, I have um, I, I use a twenty four seven time tracking application, which is different than a regular time tracking application, in that you don't start and stop things; you just start things. Because you're only ever you're tracking continuously. So mine is called Eternity on IOS. And I was just gonna say actually, one of the things I've started doing in recent years, since you know, I've been doing this now, God, it's probably eight or nine years I have like every single minute of my day tracked, except for sometimes I'll mark it untracked and then I won't track for like, you know, over Christmas. But like basically I'm tracking every single day. I've started actually doing a lot more in the notes. So I'm actually keeping a journal throughout the day. And then when I go to like my mastermind groups, we actually post a status update in Slack before our mastermind groups. So I'll go through and I'll review and say, since the last group, I can go down, I can drill into a category and say, what did I do? And it tells me everything I do. Um, because I don't do that regularly. I also um, do the same thing that Ray does is that I actually have an accomplishment log in a Google spreadsheet that says like on this day, this category, I did these things. Um, so then I have got a way to kind of very quickly look back at my accomplishments, but I'm also kind of using the time tracking. I use it in to create mindfulness in what I'm doing to make sure that I'm doing the right thing, just the the fact that I'm tracking itself and I have to write it. And then I use it as this kind of ongoing journal is what it has become is like, I just take much more detailed notes. So.
4: And so does, does the app, does it dissect the fives versus the ones and tell you how much time you're spending in one category than the other?
1: No, I've got, so I got an Excel spreadsheet that I can, I can copy the data into. So I'm just doing that through a tagging system. So I created tags that say one dash no impact two dash. So I'm purely like, um, hacking the, um, uh, their tagging system, mm-hmm. um, to do that. But then what I, what I can do is I can pull that into a spreadsheet and then, yeah, it can actually tell me, um, when I was doing this regularly, it would actually tell me what is the, uh, impact your time has on a day by day basis over this week and I can see, Oh, I'm having, you know, I'm spending more time on more impactful things or less time. So I'd actually rate myself on a scale of one to five of how my week was on how impactful it was based on, did I actually do the spend time on those things?
4: I like, I like that. Now I do something uh, a little different, just with Evernote, uh, one Evernote note. And if this, then that uh, applet uh, where I can say Google Frank's journal Blah, blah, blah. And it goes to a note in Evernote called Frank's Journal, appends to the bottom the current date and time stamp, and blah, blah, blah. So that I can just go through the day and just talk about what's happening right then. And date and time stamp, there it is. And then at the end of the month, I just copy and paste that somewhere else and start again. So it's nice to sort of see what's happening throughout my day to just... uh, Little things that one might jot on a piece of paper on a memo pad or stuff that I can just talk to my phone since I got my phone everywhere.
1: Yeah, it's like it's like a micro journaling technique, but I like the way that you integrated, exactly, yeah, yeah. integrated it with the voice recognition, so it becomes like almost like you can just. It just makes it much easier to do. It lowers the barrier to to doing
4: it. it Exactly, kind of in the thing with what we we're talking about making it easy you know I, I, my whole idea is if you make it easy enough, I'll actually do it and that's something that works for me.
1: I like
0: that. Yeah, that's the whole concept of, of part four here, right? Which is to really make these things, uh, less effortful. I don't think it's going to be effortless, but, uh, certainly less effortful, I think is a, is a good, a good point there. Uh, he, he brings up the topic of routine, which is also something that is a bit of a, a hot button issue for me, which is that, you know, um, figuring out routines is so important to overall productivity. And when we're thinking about those things that are, are our vital few, if we're if we're looking at those essential items in our world, really building them into our routine is so important. And what I think people frequently forget is that it's actually the little tasks. It's the small incremental pieces daily that actually end up building into the larger outcomes. And so if we can take a routine and build in the, and it could be, I'm going to just work for 15 minutes toward this goal that doesn't mean you're doing the same thing in that time of day each day you are in essence only doing things um, that are moving the project or goal forward but it is time bound it is um it's it's structured in a way to just that time frame so it may be 90 minutes a day it could be you you decide to block out 3 hours of every morning you know get up a little early and just work on that one thing and get as far as you can forward the point is is that by anchoring it into the 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 timescape of your life, you are dedicating a a path forward right you're paving the road toward success and you know i don't I don't read as much as I do because I read when I feel like it. I read every day, you know, and for me, it happens to be a point of joy. I enjoy reading, right? There's something that really, um, is, is, uh, a passion for me. And so every day is dedicated to reading. So even if I do nothing else in the day, I know that it's, it's going to happen. I'm going to read because it's a part of my routine. And I'm not reading the same pages over and over again every day. I'm reading different books. So we're, I'm just swapping out the activity for the, for, with, you know, um, in the day with different books, uh, but the same activities uh, occurring. So to say it better, I'm, I'm still reading. It's just different material that I'm reading every day, but every day I'm reading. And I think that if we can start to do some of those things every day where we dedicate it to a context, not necessarily to even an activity, right? It's just a context. We can then start to say like, okay, I'm working on this big goal and I'm gonna focus on this priority. Well, I'm gonna do that part at this time every day, right? So before I go to lunch, or right after I get back from lunch, I'm going to do this thing. And that anchor creates a whole uh, birth of potential for you to move forward on things. that I think a lot of people forget, and it doesn't have to take necessarily a lot of time, if you know how to align yourself with the particular activities that are going to move forward on, on a particular goal. So all right. We've talked about a lot, and I want to make sure I give everybody a chance to bring up any other topics in the book, something that kind of jumped out at you and you wanted to share before we close out the conversation as we come to a close.
6: Yeah, maybe I want to share several of my thoughts about the book. Go for it. So, yeah, I mostly agree with everyone said uh, earlier, I still have this question lingers when I'm reading the book about what if I eliminate other things and pursue the essential things, but then it turned out I'm pursuing the wrong thing from the beginning. And I still feel like the book that didn't give me enough um, solution on that. And does this mean that I have to start over and just waste my waste of my time and how to prevent this? And how do I know that what I'm pursuing is the truly essential thing that I have to do? And is there any ways to validate that? And I also don't have, um, a good answer from the book and probably this is like a new thing for people who probably knew in terms of productivity thing So, and how to overcome that guilty feeling of saying no. I I remember the book mentioned something that it's going to be um, easier for you and you'll be more comfortable if you are keep saying no to other things that is not really important for you at that time but those kind of feelings could lead you to not doing productive works with, which could be Living you non-productive right I mean you keep thinking oh um did I burn all the bridges or something like that but yeah I think uh, you mentioned something that he's going to write another book and yeah hopefully he saved that for his other books but, yeah that's all for me thank you
3: yes I had yeah, so- um, like listened to I, some presentation by Gary V. I don't know if you guys you're all probably familiar with him but um he talked about this idea of choosing and the fear of choosing the wrong thing. And he said, you know, you're going to see it one way or the other, you're going to see the opportunity that you missed by choosing what you chose to do, or you're going to look for ways to see it as there's value in that choice, right? Because you'll never know what the other, what the other outcome would have been. Um, And so you'll always find a way to kind of frame it in a sense that you've made the wrong choice and the other choice would have been better. But I think if you kind of identify the really important values, you know, the intentions, the big things in your life that you want to live in alignment with, and then you choose an option that's in alignment with those values, it's not a wrong option. It may not be the right thing for forever. And you may have to make another choice at another point in time, but it's not wrong because you're exploring and you're learning and you're growing.
0: Yeah. And I would also say to that point that there are certain choices that you'll make that will have clear metrics to the success or lack of success that will usually be a, a leading indicator for you to be able to make those choices to cut your losses and run faster as opposed to, you know, it's like, uh, to use a, uh, a, a cliche in dating, right. You know, it's like you, you go on a first date and there are kind of red flags, right. And those red flags will tell you that you should, uh, you know, politely pay for your drink and leave before the appetizers show up, uh, you know, <laughs> and there are going to be, there are, there, there are going to be those situations, right. Which um, many times are, are maybe in a career choice or maybe in a business uh, choice or even in a personal uh, in, environment where there are clear numbers, clear ways of qualitatively identifying as well that you should, you should move. And then there's the other side to it, which is a little bit less, you know, uh, you know, it's a little bit more qualitative, but a little more amorphous in terms of, as as Kat noted, you're not going to know what the outcome of the other road, uh, you know, is. So you need to have some level of, of confidence in your choice and go with it. You know, the the reality is is that uh, if there if there is a fork in the road. Um, you know, and there's no obvious sign that one fork is going, uh, one path is going to lead you off a cliff, then either choice is as good because, but because non-movement is death, right? Like it's, it's, it's not to be morbid, but like, if you just stopped moving in life and you just stood there, you know, that paralysis is akin to death. Like, why would you just not do that? Right? So um going down one path allows you to go down a path and correct course, right? You can always like back your back trace you know trace yourself back to the point of the fork and go down the other one eventually uh, i mean like really there's really no bad um outcome necessarily to that concept if you're capable of navigating from there learning from it and making growth based changes so i'm i'm not particularly worried about that i i'm always more worried about people kind of choking and not making a choice versus going headlong into a choice and then correcting from there. And
3: yeah. I would say I pulled up my notes from that talk from Gary Vee, and he says, you know, if you tried gardening for two years and decide crap, it should have been the other one. And then you switch and you do the other one. He goes, that's also good. You know, like, because if you'd chosen the other option first, you'd still have the same doubts about the choice you didn't choose, the, the route you didn't take. Um, and then he said, you know, it's about mindset and perspective and being able to adjust your decisions um, as you go. And he uses interesting analogies where he was like, you know, you could pick one option and it could take you to a conference and whatever. And had you chosen the other one, you would have been here. And I don't know, you might've gotten hit by a car or like, you know, you might've met the love of your life. if You did the other op, or you didn't go one route, you know, so it's like you don't know what the outcomes will be of the choices you don't make. Um, It is a choice though, that you have made to take, to pursue one path. You just have to recognize that it's an opportunity to learn, even if it doesn't work out. And so there's equal opportunities for the choices to succeed, and there's equal opportunities for the choices to fail. So,
0: Absolutely. So we are coming to a close on the conversation. I always try to ask the question, uh, would you recommend this book as a read or don't read? Uh, so those who would like to share, uh, read or don't read, would you, uh, uh, would you recommend the book uh, to others or not recommend the book to others? Frank, you want to start us off? Yeah,
4: I would. I would recommend it, not necessarily very all that strongly. Uh, it hasn't been my favorite book, so to speak, uh, but it's worth the read. Cool, Kat. How about you?
3: I'd say I recommend it. I think it is a useful framework. I think with every book, it has to be taken in perspective and just say, you know, not all of it's going to apply one hundred percent. It's a way to think about things. Um, and you know, it reinforces other concepts that I've read in other books. So yeah, I would recommend it.
0: Trevor, how about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd recommend, I think a lot of people need, even at the vision level that they, they need to, the book uh, is great for helping you pose questions. It's not great for giving you answers, but I think that's fine. And I think it's, it's an aspirational book. And so a lot of people need that aspiration.
0: How about you, Lee? Uh, kind of
2: what Trevor said, definitely recommend. Um, I want to make subsequent passes to this. So I think there's, there's work to take this from the theoretical
0: to the practical. Anybody else want to share whether they would recommend the book? Okay, I will say that I would recommend the book, uh, and I, obviously I recommended it to you all for us to read today, um, and I'm, I'm glad it actually ended up being a really good discussion book because uh, I was a little nervous about that. And, uh, and so I, I would recommend it to someone who probably hasn't spent a lot of time in the uh, in the productivity space who really is looking about uh, starting maybe in a startup space. Uh, and so they're they're thinking about starting a business or they are thinking about taking on a leadership role and the importance of essentialism uh, in, in the way in which McCown talks about it, I think is useful to that person. And if they, if, you know, if they're just not heard that, hey, by the way, everybody talks about, you know, like sleeping two hours and getting back up and working all the time and that kind of thing. It's at least a good, a uh, book to give somebody that's not me pounding on their head about how they should get sleep. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's just for that purpose alone, it's a really good book uh, to be able to share. And so uh, good. Thank you all for uh, joining me here in this conversation. All right, we've reached the end of this book discussion about Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less by Greg McCowan. I have a few comments and announcements before we end this episode for you. So here we go. Uh, We host these live quarterly discussions of personal productivity books, just like the one we we discussed. So you're invited to join us. Simply head over to productivitybookgroup.org and visit the upcoming books page for full details. It has all the dates for the year, and it even has a little handy Google calendar that you can subscribe to, and that will put the events automatically in your calendar. They're on Productivity Book Group. You can find all past book discussions, our book review episodes, author interviews, all under episodes in case you can't find a Productivity Book Group episode in your podcast app of choice. Uh, Directions on how to subscribe for free to Productivity Book Group is on the website as well. So just go to productivitybookgroup.org forward slash subscribe. If you can, feel free to leave a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Those are the two that primarily really help rankings. And so that helps us spread the word about Productivity Book Group and brings new productivity book lovers into the fold. And so thank you for doing that. Uh, Note also that we have a digital community called uh, personal productivity club. And inside of that, we have a productivity book group channel or a group basically inside of the digital community. Uh, it's free to join. You can do it through the web or through Android or iOS apps. And so if you go to productivity dot forward slash community, again, productivity book group. Dot org forward slash community you'll be taken over to the new community just go ahead and click on the request to join fill out the form i'll make sure to approve you into the community and then you'll be able to find productivity book group and that will allow you to go ahead and uh, discuss the books in the community and uh, make suggestions and discuss other productivity book books that you're reading that we may not be reading uh, for a summary review episode or for the live uh, group discussion calls. So feel free to go in there and join. And you'll know that I'll put all the notices for things into that channel as well. So there are the event pages with all the details will be there in the community. And with that, thanks everyone for joining us here for Productivity Book Group. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. Here's to your productive life.